Well, I want to just reiterate a little bit of what Pastor John said, just really quickly, because it's something that's really near and dear to my heart. I want to thank you uh, for the way this body has come behind what God's doing here at Chapel Street Church and calling us to uh, open a campus in North Aurora. You've done that not only through your generosity uh, as a part of this campaign to renovate the campus, but I know that there are also people and families in this room that are deeply in prayer for what God is doing there and even lending their time and their giftings to what God's doing. So I want to thank you again. I love uh, that the heart of this church body is to see God's ministry grow, to see his glory revealed. uh, And I'm really excited for what God is going to do in North Aurora. But I'm also excited just to be with you this morning because uh, some of you know that this has been probably over a year since I was last with you. And in fact, in the Uh, I was thinking this morning, the way we could measure my time having not been able to worship here at South Street is that I grew a whole beard, a big thick beard, and cut it off all in the time it required uh, for me to get back here with you. So I'm glad to be here worshiping with you. Uh, And we're starting this series on 2 Peter, Faith That Finishes, and I want to start with this question. Where do you go to get everything you need? Now in this pandemic, my wife and I, very early on, were unfortunately some of the people who got a little bit too panicked uh, and uh, we were the ones that went out to the stores and bulk bought, got everything we need for quarantine. Uh, And my wife's preference for places to go uh, is Aldi. I don't know how many of you are Aldi people, but Aldi is a great place to go. Yeah, I see some people high-fiving. Aldi is a great place to go. There's lots of bargains, but Aldi doesn't really have everything I need, unfortunately. I like Aldi, I love Aldi. Uh, and then you've got something like Walmart, right? Walmart is really great because they are uh, in on the kind of pickup order scene. So you can place your order ahead of time, show up, and uh, in theory, what should happen is that they then bring out everything you need. But unfortunately, that has never happened for me. I don't know about you. They always forget about 10 different items, things that I then have to go in the store for anyway. So I have decided in my heart that the store which God has uh, just in his faithfulness led me to is Target. Target is the place you need to go to get everything you need because Target has everything. In fact, Target is the kind of place where you go and you just need a loaf of bread, but somehow you leave with some extra outdoor equipment, you get some toys for the kids, somehow you end up with a brand new piece of art in your home. I don't know how that happens, but every time I go in there, much to my wife's chagrin, I leave with much more than I intended uh, to get when I went in because it's a place where you can get everything. And the question that Peter's going to address in his letter for us is, where do we go to get our everything? What's the place that we go to that meets all of the needs of our heart? Where do we go? And so we want to talk about this. I want to talk about where we go for all that we need. Because what Peter is going to address in this letter is so relevant to where we are today as a church, where we are as God's people. Because we face the same questions that the early church did about where we're going to go. Now, I think the other reason why it's really great to dive into 2 Peter is we've just finished 1 Peter, and we're going right into his second letter. These two letters are thought to have been written very close together, and in fact, they think that 1 Peter, which we've just finished, was written somewhere between 60 and 64 AD, but that 2 Peter was probably written somewhere between 64 and 65 AD. So a lot of what we've just finished, a lot of what we've just got in our hearts can go right into 2 Peter, because it's in that same period of history. It's that same place where Nero is persecuting the church, where there's all kinds of challenges that early Christians are facing. And Peter wants to keep some of those same themes going, reminding them of their living hope and the encouragement that they have in Christ. But this letter, he also wants to address something different, because there's some new questions facing the church. There is some growing false teaching. There's new messages growing inside of the church that are 
pulling people away from the message of who Jesus is and sending them to different places. And Peter wants to come in and say, in the midst of all this challenge, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of your doubts and fears, don't veer away from Christ. He wants to keep them on track. He wants them to have a faith that finishes. I don't know why false teaching can gain such a foothold in churches sometimes. Maybe it's that we are afraid that the message that Jesus has presented us with isn't going to be quite enough, that maybe we need something a little bit extra. Maybe we think that we might be more accommodating and fit in easier with the world around us if we just change a few things. Maybe we haven't quite got what Jesus meant. Or maybe it's simply that we don't spend enough time focusing on who Christ is, and so it's so easy to become deceived about what he's called us to. Whatever the reason, Peter wants to make sure that we get ourselves orientated, to get ourselves set on where we need to go and where we need to head. Because the question will always be for us as a church, as God's people, are we going to find everything we need in the one who created us, or are we going to find what we need somewhere else? Are we going to find all we need for a lasting hope and a full life through knowing Christ, or are we going to find it in something else? That's the question that Peter wants to tackle this morning. So I want to dive straight into 2 Peter 1, and just look at the first 11 verses this morning and ask ourselves that question. Are we going to find everything that we need in Christ? Here's what Peter says. He opens his letter, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this morning, I want to take a look at three things that is in this opening encouragement from Peter in his second letter. I want to look at the root of God's power, the fruit of God's power, and the harvest of God's power. So let's take a look at this. Let's look straight away at the root of God's power. Now, uh, throughout my life as a dad and as a husband, I have been hopefully growing in my ability to fix problems that come up. Uh, just this last week, we had a new problem come up. The sink was broke, uh, and... Uh, if you know anything about me, you know that my very small brain uh, only has room for theology or comic book information. It has no information on anything that is of real practical use in this world. Uh, and so my wife asked me, hey, can you fix the sink? I, because I love her and I want her to love me, say, yes, I will fix the sink, and immediately panicked because I had no idea how to fix the sink. So I go in and I uh, do all kinds of things with this sink. I'm poking some of the kids' straws down there, which I will never tell them about. 
Uh, I am uh, trying to get forks and knives and dig it out. I'm, I'm thinking, what could possibly be down there? I'm turning on the garbage disposal. My wife very quickly realizes I don't know what I'm doing and says, hey, why don't you YouTube it? Why don't you YouTube it? Now, some of us have not leveraged YouTube as successfully as we could have because YouTube has videos on any possible scenario to tell you exactly what to do. Uh, there is videos on there about how to fix your car, how to fix your fence, how to drywall, all the things that uh, someone like me could need. Uh, so I, very embarrassed, uh, said, okay, I will YouTube it. So I go onto my phone, I open my YouTube app, and I punch in how to fix your sink. And sure enough, within two minutes, the sink was fixed. It told me everything that I needed to do, uh, and I didn't have to poke any of my children's straws down the drain to get it done. Now, through the knowledge of YouTube, I was able to get done what I needed to get done. And similarly, it's the same idea that Peter wants to confront us with this morning. He wants us to know that there is something available to us. There's something that has been given to us that enables us to do what God has called us to do. He has supplied us with the knowledge of Christ, and through that, we have everything we need. This is what he says. He says, starting in verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire the breakdown here of what peter's saying is this is that god's divine power has supplied everything we need through the knowledge of him who called us through the knowledge of christ everything that we could possibly need, everything that we need for life and godliness is found in one place, and that's knowing Christ. If you want to know how to live a full life, then know Christ. If you want to have hope in the midst of distress and fear, then know Christ. If you want to know the power of God at work in your soul to make you a follower of Jesus, then know Christ. This is where we go to get everything we need. Now, I know that sounds great, but there's three things in particular that really helps us kind of latch on to this hope that we have in Peter's words here. Because it's great to think about how we have everything we need, but what do we really have in Jesus? What is it that we have been given through the knowledge of Christ that provides for us? There's three things. Three things that we get through the knowledge of Christ. Great promises, the divine nature, and then escape from corruption. I want to look at those three really quickly. First of all, the great promises. What are those great promises that were given through Christ? The great promises that are through ours, that are ours through Christ, I apologize, are those things which we have been given because of him. Those things that we can hold on to. The faithfulness of God. Things like forgiveness and mercy. Promises like a hope and a future. Promises that God is coming back again. Promises that God will complete the work that he started in our lives. These are the things we could go on and on, promise after promise after promise comes through Scripture to us from God. And these promises give us hope and security. Our life are built upon the promises of God. And when we see these promises and we know that they're guaranteed to us through Christ by his life given on the cross for us and his resurrection, then we have a confidence. Our lives aren't built on unsteady ground anymore. They're built on the sure promises of God. Things aren't going to change. Secondly, we're told that we become partakers in the divine nature. This is a strange one, doesn't it? What does it mean to be a partaker in the divine nature? I'm not sure that I could even begin to fully unpack 
what Scripture tells us about the divine nature, but I want to sum it up in this way this morning. It's love. Love. Think about the Godhead. Think about who God is. Before there was anything else, before this universe had been created, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect unity and love. Glorying in one another, rejoicing in one another. And what Peter says is that because of Jesus, we become partakers in that nature. We become a part of that family. We partake in this divine nature of love and perfect unity. If God's promises grant us security and hope, then God's nature, his divine nature, provides us with joy and comfort. Because the same love that God has loved Jesus with, he loves you if you're in Christ. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, we're told, is the same power that's at work in our lives. It's experience. It's not just something that is in our minds, it's something that is in our very souls. And the last promise we're given, the last thing that we're granted through the knowledge of Christ is escape from corruption. The corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, Peter says. A quick reminder of what sinful desire really is, I think it'll help us understand what corruption that we're escaping from. See, sin is, is its root, is the rejection of God as our highest good. If you remember way back in the garden, the first sin that was committed is that they believed that there was something better for them than God. Satan convinced Adam and Eve that there was something better. And from that moment on, this corruption entered the world where we continued to think that there were things in this world actually better than the one who created us. Whether it be sex or power or control or money or legacy, we chase after things that are no good for us. See, we were made for God and God alone. The corruption that is in this world is that like men in a desert, we keep filling our thirsty mouths with sand hoping that it will satisfy the longing in us. But the truth is, the only thing that can help us is fresh spring water. And who did Jesus say he was? He was the well well that never runs dry. He's come to feed the thirsty. So we're given freedom through Christ. We're given freedom from this yearning for things that are lesser, things that are no good for us, things that won't satisfy us. And instead we have the one who completes us don't need to fill our mouths with sand anymore because we have water. So we have security in his promises, we have joy in his divine nature, and we have freedom in our escape from corruption, all given to us through the knowledge of Christ. Everything that we need in one place. But he's the real important part. How many of us live like we have those things? How many of this this morning can confidently say that we have everything we need and we live like we have everything we need? We trust in those promises. We rejoice in that nature. And we know the freedom from sinful desire. I say that a lot because I know it's right, but so often I live with a Jesus plus program in my life. I don't act like he's everything we need. I, I act like he's part of what I need. I think, well, maybe Jesus plus a really great job That's what I need to really have everything I need. Or maybe Jesus plus a really great spouse and family. Maybe it's Jesus plus the right politics or the right viewpoints. Maybe it's Jesus plus my preferences one direction or another. We have to be very careful to examine ourselves and say, are we living a Jesus plus life? Or are we acting like he's everything we need? Are we acting that hidden in him 
in the wonders of who Christ is and what he's done, do we have everything that pertains to life and godliness? Peter tells them, yes, you do. Now, when we have the root of God's power, we'll know the fruit of God's power. A nice sermon rhyme for us there. And that's the second thing we see, the fruit of the power of God. Now, some of you know that I lived in Texas for a long while. Uh, I was there for about eight years. I loved being in Texas, beautiful weather, uh, a beautiful culture there in Texas of people. But if you were gonna live in Texas, you couldn't just uh, think like a Texan, you had to walk like a Texan. And so I don't think it was maybe a year before I had bought my own pair of cowboy boots. Uh, And I strolled around in my cowboy boots and everybody loved that I had my cowboy boots on. They tried to convince me to get the Stetson, but I was just not willing to pay $200 for a hat. I'm sorry. Uh, And so I tried to, as much as I could, embody what it means to be a Texan. Some of you also know that I frequently use the word y'all, which I picked up from Texas. It's very helpful to me. Um, But when you live amongst that people, when you are with them, you absorb some of what they're like, right? You, You take on their qualities. In the same way, Peter is going to direct us towards not only knowing Christ, but living like Christ, absorbing the qualities that are in him. He goes on to say in this next section, for this very reason, because you have everything you need in Christ, for that reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. There's really two very important sides to what Peter says in this next section. First is this, what does Christian living look like? What does Christian fruitfulness look like? But second of all, what does Christian fruitlessness look like? diagnose. First of all, let's look at what a Christian life looks like, what fruitfulness looks like. It's a life filled, according to Peter, with virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. Now, to those who have read a lot of scripture, this might be a little familiar to you. It's very similar to the list that Paul gives us in his letter to the Galatians. It gives us the fruit of the Spirit, a list of qualities, behaviors that should be found in the heart of someone who loves Jesus, growing and increasing in the heart of someone who loves Jesus. Maybe what we need to do this morning as we consider this is to take a little bit of an inventory, read through that list, and ask ourselves, how many of these do we see happening inside of our heart? How many of these qualities do we see growing in our lives? Self-control, steadfastness, brotherly affection, Maybe ask your spouse about this or ask your children because they are very honest. I'm regularly told by my children about ways I don't look like Jesus. But it's a really important question to ask ourselves, to consider this list of qualities that Peter gives us because he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with these qualities. Make every effort to supplement. Now that's a really interesting word to me, supplement your faith. Some translations actually say, add to your faith these qualities. But how can we add if Jesus is really all we need? What does that mean? Well, the Greek word for supplement comes from this root word, and this is one definition for it. 
to supply all things necessary to fit out a chorus. Now, I loved that when I was reading it this week and I was studying it because I love to sing. I love music. And it helped frame up for me what Peter's really saying here. One of the things I love most about singing is harmonies. Uh, I love when there's a really beautiful harmony in a song. And the way harmonies work uh, is that you have a melody to a song. So whoever's leading the song will sing the melody, the main tune. And then the harmony will be a tune that goes to complement that melody. And in fact, if you hear a harmony away from the melody, just someone singing the harmony, it sounds a little weird. It sounds a little strange because it's meant to complement the melody, the main tune. Well, the way I want us to think about our lives this morning is this, is that the melody of our lives should be the knowledge of Christ. The harmony should be those qualities which complement the knowledge of Christ. That way of living that honors the melody that God has given us through Christ. Because our lives should sing our faith. Our lives should sing our faith. Maybe the way I can say it to you this morning is that I want you, and Peter is calling me and you, to sing a harmony that fits with our faith by growing in these qualities, living lives that are in accordance with what we know, not just thinking it, but walking it out. Yet sometimes I find myself uh, singing something that doesn't quite fit with the chorus. Sometimes I don't see myself growing in self-control and brotherly affection. And so Peter's got something else to say. He's going to tell us what fruitlessness diagnoses in us. This is what he says. He says, whoever lacks these qualities, if you are unfruitful, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. What Peter is saying is that a lack of growth in these qualities is diagnosing in our hearts that we're forgetting what God has provided us with. We're not paying attention to who God is and what he's done. If you want to grow in self-control, you don't just think about self-control and try and be more self-controlled and tell other people that you're trying to be more self-controlled. You go to Christ and you look at the incredible self-control that he had. And you drink in the fact that he was self-controlled for you. That he lived a life of self-control for you and that through his spirit he has granted that to you. If you want to know how to be more steadfast and have more brotherly affection, then you return to the groundwork of your faith. You spend time with Christ. You spend time in his word. You spend time in his community of people. And you learn through patience and through humility to be steadfast and to be affectionate with your brothers and sisters in Christ because he was. And note here as well, if we don't get to pick and choose which of these qualities we're going to chase. We don't read through this list that Peter gives us and say, okay, well, I think self-control is possible for me, but I don't know about brotherly affection. I think I'm pretty steadfast, but I'm not sure whether I could be knowledgeable. Pastor Brian reminded me this week that it's, it's not a salad bar. It's not something that we go up and we say, well, I have a little bit of this and a little bit of this. This is a list that all of us are to chase in our lives. Make every effort, Peter says. Don't tolerate half-heartedness or plateaued Christian growth in your life. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at, always chase these things. Go to Christ and say, Lord, I need you. I need you to grow in me those qualities that are found in your son so that I might glorify you, so that I might sing a harmony that makes much of the melody. 
Because the call, the call upon believers is to grow in not just what we know, but what we show. The call is to grow not in just what we know, but what we show, to live lives of fruitfulness. Because God desires a harvest. And that's why I want to finish this morning, is looking at the harvest of God's power. Peter closes his letter to the churches in this way, or in this opening section. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The reason why I call this the harvest of God's power is that Peter wants to challenge the church not to just sit idle, but to work hard to pursue, to pursue a life that glorifies God, to in the midst of all the challenges they're facing, the persecution and the false teaching and the confusion, to say, I'm going to have a faith that finishes. Peter is not saying that the work of the church is to end their calling or to deserve their calling. It's to confirm their calling. The beauty of a harvest time, in my mind, is that we get to go out and seize what's already there. The harvest time is when the fruit has grown, the work has been done, now the job, now the effort is to go out and collect it. That's really where we all are as Christians. God has done the groundwork to give us a fruitful orchard, but he's calling us to go out and work with him. This is how Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, God has been diligently at work in us, now we must diligently work with him. Nothing's hanging on our shoulders here, but we are still being called to go out and to reap a harvest, to go out and confirm what God has done, to make it clear what God has done so that the rest of the world can join us. You may have heard of a couch potato, but there is such thing as a pew potato, a Christian that doesn't chase out the opportunities that they have been given in their life to represent Christ, but sits, fills their mind with the knowledge of God, fills their mind with beautiful theology and truth, but when it comes to actually living it out, is a little bit hesitant. I have been a pew potato many, many times in my life. And this letter has been a, a challenge to me to think differently, to think about what I've really been called to. He finishes by saying, for this, in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. In this way, by diligently confirming your calling, living it out, chasing it, a rich entrance will be provided for you. Is that what you want your entrance into eternity to look like? Full, rich, complete, effective. There's a student that comes to mind when I think through uh, what this is really all about, a student here at our church. Think about someone confirming their calling. Uh, a girl called Sarah McAvoy. Some of you might know her. Her family's uh, been here for a long time. Her pa father is Pastor Bruce McAvoy, who's our local serving uh, pastor. And when I think of Sarah, what I think about is someone that has been loved by Jesus and who constantly is letting that propel her into serving and loving others. Thinking about ways that she can use her life. In a, in a time at this church, I have seen Sarah lead an initiative uh, to raise awareness about human trafficking through something called the Longest Night of the Year, where each year around uh, Christmas time in winter, she gathers students and families and she does a walk around her local neighborhood just to raise awareness and, and connect with other organizations in the area, things like Naomi's house, to try and help lend what she can 
to God's effort to free women and men from human trafficking. Sarah has also been a part of our Masterpiece Ministry Church, and I've seen her love on families and serve families and give time and energy and gifts to other people. She goes and serves at a camp every year called Joni and Friends as well, which is the same kind of ministry as Masterpiece. Now, Sarah is still quite young. She hasn't even graduated high school yet. Yet she is confirming the calling that God has put in her life. She knows that she has been loved by him. She knows that she's been given the very great promises of God through Christ. She knows that she is a partaker in the divine nature, God's perfect unity with himself. She knows that she has escaped the corruption of this world, that she no longer needs to drink from dry wells. And all of those things swell around in her heart. And she adds to that. She sings the melody of that song so the rest of the world can see Jesus. Sarah is such a great picture to me of the same life that God's calling me to because here's what I want to finish on. I want to go right back to verse one and read something again that we already read that we might go a little too quickly over. Right in verse one, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Equal standing with who? Ours meaning the apostle Peter and the rest of the apostles. The apostle Paul. You ever think about the fact that what Peter is saying here in the very opening lines of his letter to the churches, to us today, is that you, if you are in Christ, you have obtained a faith of equal standing to anyone who has ever done anything inside of God's word. Peter, Paul, Moses, Elijah, all of them, the faith that you have is of equal standing to them because of the righteousness of God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Some of us live a little bit like a pew potato because we don't think we are like Peter or that we can be like even Sarah. We look at those stories and say, I can't have that, I can't be that, that's not who I am. And I gently and lovingly encourage you this morning to reconsider because you have obtained a faith of equal standing to anyone else who's ever walked in the kingdom of God. We are on level ground at the cross. There is no lessers or greatest in God's kingdom. There are only his children. And if you're in Christ, you're one of them. That same supply that was given to Peter and the early church and what they faced has been given to you. In the family of God, all of us can be just as effective as Peter. All of us can be just as effective as Paul. All of us can be just as effective as Sarah. There is an endless orchard of God's grace and power made available to you by Christ. So I'll close this morning is this. Go in the knowledge and the promise of that grace, the God who is your supply, and sing a harmony that lifts up the melody. Live a life that honors and glories in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning, this chance to just dwell on you, to be reminded of your goodness and your kindness and your faithfulness. And Lord, we pray that as we leave this place that we would have a faith that is effective and fruitful because we know that you have supplied us with everything we need. Lord, those words shook me this week that I have obtained a faith of equal standing with your servant Peter, with your servant Paul, with servants like Sarah.
Lord, I pray that that would trickle down into my heart that I might live a life that glories in you, that we as a church might glory in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.